from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. As a reminder to those listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each show segment available. Head on over. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate that subscribe button. What's going on, guys? What's going on, man? You got the beard. He got the drink. I got the wisdom. Let's do it. Let's talk some sports, baby. Let's do just that. In episode 59, we crown our best free agency signings, discuss what NBA team benefits the most from the layoff, and which Super Bowl team from the past decade was the best. So stay tuned to find out those answers. But first, let's start with the quarterbacks that got paid last week. Teddy Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins, Phillip Rivers, and Ryan Tannehill all inked deals at the start of free agency, signing some pretty hefty contracts. Bridgewater and Rivers are with new teams, the Panthers and Colts respectively, while Cousins and Tannehill re-upped with their 2019 teams. So, Jay, which of these four guys do you expect to have the most success in 2020? So, first off, just on that note, what we were talking about pre-show, about what the question really means, I'm taking success as wins and losses. Because I know, hey, I know Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is going to have a nice season because he always does. You know, he's going to put up some nice numbers. He'll make the fantasy football folks. He'll make them happy. Uh, this this is probably going to drive drink crazy. I'm going with the old man that he thinks should be on the couch with all his kids. Oh, I'm going Phillip Rivers. I'm going Phillip Rivers for one year for 2020 for $25 million because I'm looking at the rest of these teams and I'm also looking at the AFC South, which is about to be just a complete mess once again. When I think about what Bill O'Brien's engaging in down there in Houston, sending out, no question, a top three receiver and DeAndre Hopkins out of there, that's going to hurt the Houston Texans. That's going to hurt Deshaun Watson. And I, th- I don't see Houston in the playoffs this year. The Tennessee Titans, they've lost Jack Conklin. They've lost Jarrell Casey. They've lost Logan Ryan, Delaney Walker. And you don't have the insurance policy back there with your backup, Marcus Mariota, or Tannehill was the backup to start last year. But what I'm saying is you no longer have that insurance policy for if Tannehill turns back into, Miami, into the Miami Tannehill and winds up hurt or winds up unproductive. And then the loss of Jack Conklin and Delaney Walker is going to hurt that running game. I really I really think it's going to hurt. I, I think it's hard to imagine Derrick Henry replicating the success he had from last year. And then, you know, don't even get don't even get us started with Jacksonville. We know how uh, we know how putrid they're going to be with. We just don't even understand what they're doing. So with that, with that being said, the AFC South is up for the taking. And I like what I'm seeing from the Indianapolis Colts. And if you give me the choice of all the general managers in that division, I'm taking Chris Ballard. So I'm taking Chris Ballard over Bill O'Brien, over 
I don't even know who the Titans general manager is, to be honest with you. And I'm definitely taking Chris Ballard over Dave Caldwell. I like, hey, I like Frank Reich as well. I think Frank Reich has a great argument being best coach in that division. So I'm taking him. It's, it's, you, you can have a toss-up between him and Mike Vrabel. The other guys, forget about it. Bill O'Brien got two jobs, and he just he's suffering at both right now. That the Colts look at some of the acquisitions they made. They brought in DeForest Buckner, so they've got a a prime time star on that defensive line. I think the signing of Xavier Rose is a big deal. We'll, we'll see what he can do for him, but I think he offers a great veteran presence to mix in with all those young guys. So I think that's a big deal. And the Colts, since Chris Ballard has taken over, they can draft. So they're, I, I expect them to rectify that wide receiver position and get Phillip Rivers some weapons. He's already got Marlon Mack. He's already got a solid running game. And that offensive line is among the best in the NFL. So with all that in mind, Phillip Rivers will have the best 2020 out of all these other out of out of this group of quarterbacks. Hey, man, those were some nice additions that you added on the defense side of the ball, man. Just nice. Listen, unless you oh shot put Rivers here. Unless you, this draft is, they're going to get two first round receivers and another tight end and some other greatness. I ain't seeing it. I just don't see it. Look, the dude just showed us in, with a team where he had top flight receivers, a good tight end, a good backfield, offensive line left a little to be desired. I give you that. And he couldn't get it done. So all of a sudden, just because Tennessee maybe took a little step back and um, uh, the Texans took a step back, um, listen, I don't want to. You need to stop it. You need to stop it with uh, the old man Rivers. The you Colts don't have it. to take a big I, step forward. Listen, I believe it when I see it. First of all, I think you only picked this this AARP member just to piss me off. That's what I'm feeling about right here. This is bull crap, and you know it. This is some straight up bull crap. But listen, can't, let me get back to the question. Sold on these other guys. You're not gonna like my yeah. answer then, but yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> yes. Wow. I think I'm about to have heartburn. Listen, I'm a, I'm gonna go with one. Um, I'm gonna go with one Teddy Bridgewater. Here's the deal. I know. Yes, he is coming into a division that is that's getting tougher by the minute. He got to go through Drew Brees. He got to go through Tom Brady. He got to go through Matt Ryan. I got that. But here's what I do know about Teddy Bridgewater. You get him talent, he going to give you results. We've seen that with the Saints. He had talent, he got results. We've seen that with Minnesota. He had talent, he got results. So it leads me to believe you give him something, he's going to get results. By the way, he's the young guy of this group. When you look at the other three quarterbacks in that division, he is the young guy. He's also getting locked up with a young offensive coordinator and a young head coach for that fact of the matter. I was telling Jay this before the, the, um, the show. Listen, I think the element of surprise is going to be on Teddy Bridgewater's side. My boy Teddy Two Gloves. That's what they call him in the streets. I think the element of surprise will be on his, on his side because – like I said, you have these three relatively – with Bridgewater, uh, let me backtrack. I wouldn't say relatively unknown for Bridgewater, but Joe Brady, Matt Rule, relatively unknown on the NFL level. You match them up with this young gun, uh, Ted Bridgewater, and I think that's going to be a lot for success. I understand. Now, Carolina defense did take a step back. 
but they're not dead in the water. It's kind of like the whole analogy with the Colts. The Colts don't have to be much better to win that division. I agree with that. But I'm telling you, I think Philip Rivers just ran off with the money. I think he took the bag. He just stole the church money. He ain't coming back. And I'm, I can't wait till he proved me right. Anyway, Teddy Bridgewater, he gonna he going to come in here. And I, the reason I feel that way, I look at it kind of like the whole Kellen Moore situation with, with Dallas. I think at one, at one point he had caught some people by surprise that Prescott. I mean, teams wasn't all that good. However, we still seen – that product, and we we thought to ourselves, hey, that's not that looked pretty good. That looked a lot better than we thought he was going to look. Then he actually played some competition, played some veteran defense coordinators, and they put it on him. But the element of surprise could still be on his side because just as well as we will talk about Teddy Bridgewater coming into a new situation, Tom Brady is also coming into a new situation. Yes, you got Matt Ryan coming back, but we still got questions about that offensive line. So. Will he be able to get the ball out and, you know, get the ball out with Ty Gurley be able to get enough yards on the ground to alleviate pressure off Matt Ryan? We still need to see that. And the Saints, listen, the Saints are the Saints. I mean, you know, it's levels to this. So the Saints going to be doing their thing. We should, you know, it should be significant between them and the rest of the division. But for this question, I'm going with my boy, the Teddy Two Gloves, and you know what it is. Yeah, I, I, I guess I got to agree with both y'all in different ways. Um, I think from a statistics per- perspective, it is going to be Bridgewater. If that's how you're going to measure your success, just by the numbers. Uh, you look at what he did at his time in New Orleans. If you extrapolated roughly what he did for those five games to a 16-game season, he would have been sixth in the NFL in completion percentage, tied for fifth in touchdowns, and he would be sixth in total yards. That puts him in Watson, Wilson, Breeze territory, right? Now, obviously, that's just taking five games, and we're running with that. But hey, and, and what he did with Minnesota, because I give him credit for what he did in Minnesota as well before he got hurt. Right. So I mean, he's won wherever he's went. I mean, he, he there's there is a chance he could win, but the Carolina team is likely going to be very good. You know, he is going to have weapons. You know, he's not going to have Michael Thomas, say. But you talk about DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. That's a great you know wide receiver combo, and then you still have Christian McCaffrey. You've got a lot of weapons on offense to play with. The line's not great, not terrible. It's probably somewhere in the middle, you'd imagine. But they're going to lack a defense. you got dudes leaving left and right. Keekley, Reed, Mario Addison. There's guys at every level that have departed. And you have a whole new system being implemented. And, uh, by the way, that defense has to play Breeze, Brady, and Matt Ryan uh, for their six games a year. So uh, good luck with that. So that defense is going to get lit up. And Bridgewater is going to have to go score a lot to keep up with this. So I think you're going to see a little bit of that, like, Jameis Winston hero ball stuff. So statistically, I think he'll have the best season. But if you're talking about wins and losses, man, i got to agree with Jay. i got to go with Phillip Rivers. And it's not so much that I have faith in him. It really isn't. Um, but the Colts are pretty good. I mean, the Colts are pretty good, and the AFC South is bad. You know, the Jaguars are a joke. Uh, the Texans are just losing their minds, and come on, we we, we just can't think the Titans are going to be as good, right? Like, I, I just I don't see it. When we say the Colts are pretty good, what what metric are we using with pretty good? What what what, what are we talking about here? Playoff like how, good, division winning good. They were yeah, I, they were seven and nine with Jacoby Brissett, right? I mean, yeah, I've we, got to think. And yeah. we all agree, I think we all can agree, if Andrew Luck doesn't surprise us on retire, they win that division by a landslide. Yeah, but, okay, 
if he had a play, but Andrew Luck is in the distance. So last year they were seven and nine. What was they the year before? So what when we say they're pretty good, we're like, what are we talking I, about? Here? I'm comfortable right now, even before the draft, saying the Colts will win the AFC South. That's where I am too. Where, no, where, and and no, what I what I like no. about the Colts is you've got you've got a lot you got some nice players on offense. You still have T. Y. Hilton, you have Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines, that, that nice running back combo already set. Yeah, you're missing <clears> the second wide receiver. No, no argument there. Tight ends a little sparse too. But that defense has great young talent at every level. But the best thing about the Colts is the offensive line. It starts right there. He's gonna have probably the one of the best offensive lines in football. Top three. I, I mean, easy. I mean, maybe you could even argue higher. And if I think if you give him enough of an offensive line and a few weapons to work with, along with a very talented young defense and a team that knows how to draft now that has a much better GM in place than they did and they're coached well, it just the bar for Philip Rivers personally, his like ability to succeed, it, it's not much. It's just it's, there's not much of a bar. He doesn't have to go out there and do much besides do smart veteran quarterback stuff. And I think he has the capability to do that. So that's that's really why I'm so sold. And again, it's just also because if we're talking about wins and losses, you get to play the Titans, Jags, and Texans twice a year. I mean, you're you're gonna win four of those games. I mean, you should. Maybe you want I take, to. You yeah, should. I take. A, yeah, I think they win five of them. I really do. Yeah. But so and, that, and again, and that goes that goes back to the question: how you look at it. I, I look at when I think about success, I'm thinking about wins and losses. But if you're talking about from a pure numbers standpoint and and putting up pass yards and throwing touchdowns. You can Teddy Bridgewater. I, I think he'll have a great year. I just I am concerned about that defense. I think they've lost a lot of juice on it the last couple of years. You can throw Gerald McCoy and Thomas Davis from a couple of years ago. I think they're still reeling a little bit from that loss. And that that division, when you add in Tom Brady and what we expect out of the Bucks, that, that, that's just that's still, that's going to be a lot to ask for Teddy Bridgewater to outscore Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Cause I do think he'll have to outscore him because I think they will struggle defensively. And I said it at the jump, Kirk Cousins going to put up numbers, but I don't see the Panthers, Titans and Vikings. I don't see them. They're not winning their divisions. Right. So I, I just, and, and that's what I, that's why I picked uh, Bridgewater for the pure statistics. Cause again, he's got to be go out and scoring all the time. Cause he's always going to be behind. With that division, and uh, and as far as wins and losses, man, like I said, I, I got to go with Rivers. That's just, I, I don't like it. Trust, me, I, don't, I don't like it. But if I'm just oh, going Lord. with, I'm, if I'm going with the brain, I, I have a hard time thinking that he's not going to have some pretty decent success with that team. I just can't see a seven and nine team adding him and adding guys like DeForest Buckner and going backwards. I and just, by the I don't, and, I don't and by the way, just another note on Kirk Cousins because. We talk about how he's one of those guys that definitely needs that support. And, and Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, great supporting cast on offense, great weapons. Well, you don't have Stephon Diggs last year, and you're not going to be lip propped up as much by a defense that has lost Everson Griffin, Xavier Rose, Trey Waynes, and Linval Joseph, and Mackenzie Alexander. So you've lost three of your top corners. The, Vic the Vikings could struggle a bit this year. keep it in the NFL with the rest of the new free agents. From Tom Brady's big decision to Ryan Tannehill getting a break struck, it was a pretty interesting few weeks. There's a couple guys left to go, with guys like Jadavian Clowney and Cam Newton waiting to sign, but we know where about 85% of our guys are going to be. We just talked about quarterbacks, and we all know Brady would probably easily top most lists, 
So let's go ahead and throw quarterbacks out, guys. So all the other positions that were signed, which free agent quarterback or which free agent pickup that isn't a quarterback is going to help their team the most in 2020, Drake? <sighs> all right. So the first one I want to go with, the cornerback the position, I want to go with uh, Byron Jones that signed down that signing down with uh, the, the Dolphins. And the reason being is I remember – this time last year, and and me and Jay was talking, and I remember the one thing he asked me, and I had to think about was he was like, if you had to come up with a storyline for the Dolphins, what would it be? Right, every every team in the NFL had a storyline, but the Dolphins, and I was like, oh man, hey, it, it gotta hey, be a storyline, right? Cincinnati didn't have one either, by the way. They were the two where we were, ju- they were just blank. You know, I mean, I mean, I guess you could have did something wrong and the Dalton and AJ Green. I don't know, but they didn't have a storyline at all. Now this year, we're talking totally different. They beat the Patriots. They they seem to Brian Flores seemed to have a good grip on the team. He got rid of some riffraff. He got some picks back, and now they could possibly go out and get Tua now and then bring him in the mix. And they spent some money this offseason. They got the two highest paid cornerbacks, and I think that's gonna be a really big deal. Um. I think they're going to be able to put the AFC East on notice now. Like, when you come and play Miami, yeah, don't just stare at Fitzpatrick and think, oh, yeah, it's the Dolphins. It's a pencil-in win. No, you're going to have to take them a little serious. And what I like was, hey, you went out and got the big fish at cornerback because when you look at all the cornerback signings, Byron Jones was the biggest signing of them all. So, and, you know, in the sense of contract signing, you got the big fish at cornerback. Now your team has the two highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL. You better be able to lock some things down out there. So I'm uh, as far as cornerbacks go, I'm going to go with with uh, Byron Jones. And then my second one was uh, Jack Conklin going to Cleveland. Here's the deal. Cleveland had a whole lot of things go wrong for them last year. But one thing that got brought to my attention that I might have undersold was that offensive line. That offensive line was terrible. I mean, we could talk about Baker Mayfield and his subpar performance, but it's a little hard for anybody to throw the ball when you, you, you got a defensive lineman sitting in your chest every snap. And for the most part, he was running for his life. And they went out and they made – I don't even know how they got Jack Conklin from Tennessee, but they got him because I was sold that he was going to sign back with the Titans. That's why Derrick Henry got the franchise tag. Somehow, Cleveland walked right on out with the contract, chucked the deuces, and told them, holla at me, baby, right after they got Austin Hooper. So, listen, I think that is a significant signing for a team because I, I said this on a previous show. What Cleveland did this year in offseason that kind of makes me think they're going to take a step forward is they addressed real deal issues. They didn't go out and just sign a big name. They signed a name that they needed, i.e., they needed a, they needed a, a upgrade at tight end. They went and got one. They needed an upgrade in the offensive line. They went and got one. They need some defense piece. They went and got them. They need an upgrade in coach. They got one. So th- what they did, the moves that they made, makes me believe that they won't be the paper bag over the head Browns much, much, much more longer. So that, those are those are my two guys, Byron Jones to the Dolphins and Jack Conklin to the Browns. That's what I got. Yeah, real quick in regards to the coaching point and the upgrade there for Cleveland. 
they could they couldn't downgrade that's for sure so we'll, we'll just leave it there we're not gonna like i'll bang on freddie kitchens too much today but uh hey i i'm, I'm looking when i look at free agency and we see this year to year one of the things i'm looking at is the day one free agency the first day of it is it's just a mad crazy spending spree and you see those are the, those are the signings where there's a lot of overpaying going on i love the byron jones i love the byron jones contract I love the Byron Jones signing, but that that that's where that kind of falls in. Not that it's a bad signing, but that's a that's probably a bit more that yeah, I like. You think to pay they for. paid too much? I think so. Oh, that that's not to yeah. say he won't play well for him. But my but yeah. when you look past the first day or the first couple of days, that first huge wave, then you get more into the true value signings. And I'm looking at the New Orleans Saints right now, and I think the the re the signing of Malcolm Jenkins on the back end of that secondary is a major deal, not only with how he can play the position, but the intangibles and the leadership that he's going to bring. And we, we see, we saw it for years with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, the past couple of years, this guy was the absolute glue keeping anything together out there. I mean, can, can we, we talk about how bad the Eagles secondary was the past couple of years. Can we, we, I can't even fathom how unwatchable they would be without Malcolm Jenkins. So you, you got him coming back to New Orleans where he started his career at. And Sean Payton has been on a record saying one of the biggest mistakes he's made as coach of the Saints is letting, is letting Malcolm Jenkins walk six years ago. They've got him back now. They've rectified that mistake. And I, I think that's going to be a huge deal. He's also going to be able to mentor those young guys, Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, get them puppies organized, as Bill Rathery likes to say. You got Janoris Jenkins out there as well. That, man, I, I, I'm really looking forward to watching that defense with Malcolm Jenkins back in New Orleans. And on the flip side, on the other side, another great value sign the Saints made is bringing in the veteran wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders. Those two signings, I think, were absolutely huge. They didn't make a lot of flashy headlines, but I think they're going to be very impactful. And you talked about this last year, and you you were pr you were pretty much on the money. The Saints they did struggle throughout the season to stretch the field vertically. We know how great Michael Thomas is in the short intermediate game and over the middle. And I brought up the point of Jared Cook. Jared Cook throughout the season he became more of a downfield target. But you really like to have somebody outside of numbers that can stretch the defense vertically. And even at the advanced age of 33. I think Emmanuel Sanders can still do that. Again, I bring it up once again. The play that one of the plays in that Super Bowl, the really the final chance for the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew and an open Emmanuel Sanders, who had beat a double team on a post route. That happened. So he's I think he's still got a lot of juice left. I thought he looked great last season coming off an Achilles. Let's not forget this. He played a 17 game regular season. When he got traded from Denver, they, they hadn't had their bye week. He gets over to San Francisco. They'd already had their bye week. That's that's one of those things that people you, – you, you, he, he was talking about the contract that he signed in the negotiations because the Packers and a couple other teams were looking at him and, you know, trying to lowball him. And that was one of the things he brought up. I'm, I'm durable as they come. And, and I think he's absolutely right. So those two signs, I think they're a huge deal for New Orleans. I like the Jack Conklin sign, and your point about the Browns' offensive line being a mess is absolutely right, and that's going to help them tremendously. It's also going to help Nick Chubb. I mean, as great as Nick Chubb was last year, he should have even more room to operate now 
with a guy like Jack Conklin opening up holes on that right side. And, and last point about the Dolphins. As much as we like Byron Jones, I think the Jordan Howard signing is a big deal at running back. I, I really, really do. I think he's going to have a great impact for them. Yeah, I kind of agree with y'all as far as the corners go. I think when you look at uh, Byron Jones, what I kind of like about it is it's a little more of a boomer bust signing. You're talking, there's a couple other corners that were much safer signings, but Byron Jones, that money, it's completely boomer bust. But the Dolphins are one of those teams that are in the position to do just that. Hey, we're going to go out and we're going to get the best dude. We're going to throw our dart at the number one player on the on the free agency list and we're going to go get him, right? And that's a that's a really good one-two combo with Xavier and Howard and on a team that's just, you know, just loaded up with with talent now. And I like it too because look, you know think about the the timing. You know, the AFC East now it's open. You know the, the Patriots look like they might tank the whole season. Who even knows? So for a team that has hey we understand the room, we understand what's going on, and we're gonna go get the best guys and try to tr- get the ship turned around. I like it a lot. And oh, AFC East doesn't have a lot of receivers to worry about right now, anyways. So you're going to be able to just lock down some of your uh, opponents you're going to see twice a year. Another one I kind of like is James Bradbury uh, going to the Giants. That's kind of a little bit under the radar, but. The Giants really need a cornerback to have. They had no one above the age of 24 on the roster, and he's going to bring stability. You know, one of the things you want to do in free agency is you want to provide stability and you want to plug holes before you get to the draft. In the draft, you just get the best player available. You don't have to worry about it. Instead of going out there with a shopping list, that's not what you want to do. Uh, you have DeAndre Baker you signed last year, and he's got a guy now that can mentor him, kind of show him how to go. And Bradbury's a stable guy. He's started, like, I think all but one game he's played. And you're going to need him because you get Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, and Julio Jones being thrown to by Breeze, Brady, and um, uh, Matt Ryan. So, yeah. Um, and, and for value, I, I would actually say I'm going to be a little bit of a homer, but the Joe Schobert signing for Jacksonville was good, mostly because Miles Jack gets to go back to what the position he actually plays. And if that defense is going to rebuild, they just got a little bit of a two for one. You get a very good player in Schobert in the middle, and you get to kick Jack back to the outside, and it does fill a big hole. So a couple, there was a couple guys like that that you sign, and you get a player that moves back that's filling another spot, and that's a very nice thing to get kind of that two for one special there. So, uh, yeah, I like the corners though the most because that's a position you got to have but you can also go solve in free agency without drafting the guy and going through the lumps of them learning and it makes you a lot better you know immediately all right guys last week we talked speculated when and how the season could get back underway it's a pretty unprecedented time and with that comes some unexpected consequences teams don't typically get a break in the middle of the season besides that week for all-star break but now they're going to get at least a month or two and it could be more than that. With this, with this extended break in mind, Jay, which team is going to benefit for the most from this bizarre turn of events and extra time off? Well, I think I think it could benefit a great a great number of teams because, you know, we see at this stage in the season, there's a lot of injuries that have abound. There's a lot of guys playing through some pain. So I think it's going to help a great number of teams. I think the Clippers, though, get a real benefit here for getting some time off because their top two players have dealt with nagging injuries throughout the season. When you talk about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and we've also seen Patrick Beverly miss his fair share of time. We know how valuable he is to that starting lineup. So I think the Clippers, this break will do them well, but it's also it's a two-sided equation because I'm operating under the premise that the NBA regular season will be shortened and we won't we'll play about i would say 6 or 7 games once season, once the season comes off suspension and then we'll roll into the playoffs so that could also be a concern for the clippers <clears throat> because one of the things we've lamented 
we've lamented lately is you got all these new parts and then you've you incorporating the Reggie Jacksons of the world and the Marcus Morris of the world. There's something to be said for the chemistry that you're trying to develop. So a decrease in regular season games could have an adverse effect on that. But the benefit of getting your two superstars healthy, hopefully with this layoff, I think that does outweigh the risk of the chemistry because I think even with the shortened season, that first round series for them should be just a tune-up round anyway. Because I don't, I, as much as 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 surprising as the Dallas Mavericks have been, that would be their opponent at this moment. I believe I don't think we expect Dallas to really give the Clippers a serious run in a first in a seven-game series. I will also say Milwaukee with Giannis's injury that he had, the Bucks have to be thrilled that. The, I'm going to say they're thrilled, but they they've got to. This is a break that they can use, and their number one guy. You talk about most valuable player. I, we said it last. We said it a couple nights ago. The Bucks without Giannis look lost in the in the few games they played without him. So I, I'm just assuming he's going to be back healthy, and then we can maybe we can see some semblance of a number two in Chris Middleton and maybe just maybe we'll see Eric Bledsoe show up and earn his money for once. So those, I think those teams benefit and the Lakers will, I think the Lakers will benefit from this as well, but I do think there's a drawback. There's a little bit of a negative side with the break for them, but I'm sure drink is about to tell us about the Lakers. Well, uh, let me just tell you, your assumption is correct. Um, Listen, I, I think this break, uh, it definitely benefits both MVP candidates. As he said, Giannis um, coming back from injury. And LeBron James, let's, let's go ahead and cut to the cheese. We know this. LeBron James is the oldest superstar in the NBA right now. One of the things, one of the negative uh, connotations that was attached to him was he's older. He's going to need more rest. He can't do what he used to do. He has played a lot of minutes up to this point, but he has played the lowest minutes that he played within the last five years. However, he still have a high usage rate. With that said, a guy of his age, you, you're right. You, you can definitely use a break like this when you did not see that this coming. And, and it was definitely benefit a guy of his age that's playing at the level that he's playing. And you already mentioned Giannis, so I don't need to beat that dead horse. And then we talk about the Clippers. Here's the deal. Paul George. We just don't know. Like, you know, now he gets uh, unnecessary rest, and hopefully that shoulder comes back. And Kawhi Leonard, I always said this, it is something, I think it's something seriously wrong with Kawhi Leonard's knee that he's kind of been playing through, and now he gets to rest it without having to do load management. Uh, so I think those three teams at the top definitely benefit. It's one of those things. The rich get richer, all right? This, this ain't a tax bill with, for the big corporations, but it's, it's close to it. So these teams going to get the rest. And, yes, it hurts these smaller teams because <laughs> I don't think uh, the Memphis Grizzlies want to go and catch this smoke from a, a well-rested Lakers. Now, like you said, it's a two-sided coin, right? The problem with the Lakers and this rest is the Lakers are older teams. What we know about older teams is it takes them a, it takes them more time to get in the rhythm than it would take a younger team. The young team kind of you roll that ball out and they just kind of like the Pelicans, right? When Zion came back, that team so young they kind of just got to it, right? Well, you know, Lakers 
There ain't no spring chickens. You take Anthony Davis out of the mix. Hey, we we looking at pretty pretty old over here. You know, we might need some handicap stippers. So it's gonna take them time to, to warm up those ligaments and warm up those muscles. So we might see some some bad ball, but like you said, it would be more of a preseason look. I mean, you would think a lot of these seeds gonna be signed, sealed, and delivered. If not, the NBA just say, look. All eight teams are locked in. We only playing these seven games to warm up the muscles, and we're gonna start the playoffs like this. Then that means you give them seven games, roughly what about a week and a half? You play seven games, give them a week and a half to get that groove back, to get that continuity back, and then boom, we're gonna go into the playoffs. And then there we go. And the same thing for Milwaukee. They get the leader back. Uh, Chris Middleton can you know get back to what he do, which is wait on Giannis. And then Eric Bledsoe can, I guess, play defense. So you, you they get they get back uh, in the fray, and 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 we get to see them do what they do, and the best. Be- and I'm tell you right now, like everybody want to talk about, oh yeah, Milwaukee, that bench is so spectacular. I guess that bench ain't really worth nothing when you when the star ain't around, cause they they looked pretty pedestrian too. But that's neither here nor there, cause this ain't what this conversation about. But th- that's my pick, the 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 top three at the top of the. The the league gets the rest more and the rich get richer, man. Hey, hey, real quick to the to the point about the Milwaukee Bucks bench. If Giannis doesn't play, it automatically has to slide one of those bench guys into the starting lineup. So it just by that it will weaken the bench. But yeah, I would say as far as Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, we've given up a lot of heat, but the bench probably the bench probably has to be held accountable too because they're not carrying their end of the bargain either. And I'm glad you brought up what you did about the Lakers as far as them maybe taking some time to regain their rhythm because with the recent slide from Milwaukee, you can make a great argument that the Lakers have been the most consistent ball club in the NBA throughout the season. So, and when you factor in their age, a stoppage in play is probably not what they would want to see given how they've been in a pretty good rhythm throughout the season. Yeah, I looked at a, I looked at a couple teams that really, you know, are just away from the very top or some that are actually chasing a playoff spot. And like the first one I'll say is Portland, but of course this completely depends on what happens. If the season comes back starts and we get to play the rest of the season i gotta think portland's at least a little bit happy they got a little bit of a break they're gonna get collins back they're gonna get nurkic back you're gonna have two guys that are gonna be good rotational guys uh maybe a little bit more than that they're gonna come in and help out and you remember damian lillard got hurt for a while mccollum was out there trying to he was doing his best to carry him along but it didn't really go Uh, very well so you get lillard he gets plenty of time to get back healthy and that's a team that could have used a good deep breath to just hey we're only three and a half games back. We can do this. We just, we gotta, we gotta reset. But of course, if the season doesn't restart with the regular season, we just have tune ups in the playoffs. Well, it, it obviously doesn't matter. Uh, a team that's in the playoffs, I think gets a lot of a benefit is the Celtics. This is a team that hasn't been healthy at the same time. Every time one person gets healthy, someone else goes down. It's like whack-a-mole, you know, just going around, one head pops up, and the other one goes down. This is a team that needs some time with all their starters together to really kind of gel. I think the last guy out was Marcus Smart. Well, he actually got the, I think he actually got the coronavirus, but um, he's going to have plenty of time, hopefully, to get back and kick that. And you get a good opportunity when the season does come back. Everyone's here. The whole the whole gang's here. And you get at least a couple games, if not more, to roll into the playoffs as a healthy unit that's had some time to really kind of 
work out the little details of that rotation versus, well, who's got it tonight? And then, you know, we say Gordon Hayward's over there building sandcastles. Like, it's been kind of a – they've been winning, obviously, but it's been kind of this mixed bag, whereas now you can get everybody together, and that's really good. And I'll throw you a real quick wild card would be the, uh, the Rockets. Uh, that – we remember that small ball experiment started really going south right before the season stopped. I mean, they took four or five losses in a row, and um, things were not looking very good. So they are probably happy. We know how James Harden gets. He gets a little tired, and then the, the production kind of goes off for a while. So James Harden's probably pretty happy to have a little bit of a break. And that's a team that, you know, if they come back a little more rejuvenated, uh, they could make a little bit of a push going into the playoffs as well. Yeah, they, they might have a growth spurt. They need one. <laughs> all right fellas let's take it down let's take a trip down memory lane for our last topic last football memory we have is patrick mahomes in kansas city hoisting lombardi trophy in atlanta back in february i closed out the 2010s decade for super bowls let's go ahead and take a look back on the decade's champions the patriots mopped up three of the 10 wins with green bay new york giants baltimore seattle denver philadelphia and kansas city all winning one there were blown leads, blowouts, and big upsets over the years. So, Drink, who is your best Super Bowl team in the past decade? Oh, you know what it is. I've been waiting on this all day. It's time for me to go ahead and drop some of this Hennessy in the streets, baby. And I'm going to go with the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. Oh, yeah. That defense was nastier than drinking Kool-Aid with no sugar. That's how nasty they was. Oh, God. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Here's the deal. I'm going to go ahead and take y'all back right now. You know, when I wish I had, like, some graphic designs that I can make, like, a flashback. But here's the go. This is how I knew it was going to be crazy. We Just go back and look at the coin flip. Now, before the coin flip, this game was matched up. Number one defense against number one offense. The Broncos was off the chain. They I mean, Peyton Manning couldn't throw a bad pass this season. He was just off the, the chizzy, chizzy. And then you got Seattle that was number one defense, but we didn't see what was going to, you know, happen in the Super Bowl. We didn't see that coming, even though they was, you know, named the number, number one defense in the NFL. Joe Namath, he go flip the coin, and he even messed that up because he never, he never let the referee even ask what they was going to pick, like, he just go flip the coin. Referee catch the coin in the air. He's like, hey, Joe, come on, man. You, I, I got to ask them heads or tails, man. What you doing? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, all right, man. What up? Boom. Flip the coin. Seattle wins. Seattle say, we want we want to put the defense on the field first. Oh. Oh, we defer and put the defense? Oh, yeah, you know the smoke was coming in. They wanted to put their number one defense on there to show the Broncos what time it was. All right, boom. Kick the ball off. Never get it. Very first play. Twelve yeah, seconds to, into the yep. game. They didn't have to show them. Twelve, twelve hot ones into the game. We see the ball go flying over Peyton Manning's head, and he's like, "Oh, it's gonna be a long day at the office, folks. It is gonna be a long day at the office." So, twelve seconds into the game, we already got a two, two zippo lead. How about that? Then, boom, they kick the ball off. To Denver's defense credit, right? Their defense played pretty doggone well. Wasn't better than Seattle in this exact game, but it was pretty good nonetheless. Go down, Seattle goes, boom, you know, kick a field goal. So it's 5 nothing, right? And then, assuming possession, 
Listen, if I was a DB coach and I was telling my young DBs, hey, you got to set the tone for a game, the tape I'm going to put on is that Cam Chancellor hit to Damaris Thomas. You talking about setting the tone for a game? Get you some of that. If you ain't seen it, go ahead and Google it. YouTube it. I mean, that set a tone. Oh, Demarius Thomas was picking his numbers up off the ground. If that He smacked them. After that, I felt like the feeling of the whole entire game was just like, meh, eh. And that's what it seemed like. People had to remember this so I don't drag this out too long. Russell Wilson only threw for 206 yards in that game. It wasn't all that spectacular. Oh, by the way, Marshawn Lynch wasn't even the leading rusher. You know who the leading rusher for that team was? It, don't worry about it, I'll tell you. Percy Harvin, that was the leading rusher. Oh, by the way, Percy Harvin, this was probably only the third game he played all season, by the way, because he was hurt for the majority of the season. That's neither here nor there. Um, that's tell you how how wild this game was. They scored 43 points, and the offense kind of got to, like, just drag their tail, drag their tail. Uh, that defense, listen, Demaris Thomas got to the point where he was just like, he got the one pass, and I was telling, uh, I was telling Jay this before. And we think, oh, okay, yeah, Denver really get some point. And here come. Byron Maxwell, the unforgotten guy in the Legion of Boom, he comes on up, punch it out, and Peyton Manning looking like, man, listen here, I'm about to retire. This is some bull crap right here. This is some bull crap here. Go with that. Let's talk about passes to, you know, his second leading guy at the time, which was Julius Thomas. He come across the middle. He pulling the alligator arms because he don't want no smoke because he seen what Cam Chancellor did earlier in the game. He didn't want no smoke either. So he kind of alligated on. You got C.J. Anderson over there crying at halftime because he knew what time it was. He knew this this thing was over. <laughs> hey, they left some souls out there. So um, without further ado, we're going to go with this 2013 Seattle Seahawks. You know what I'm Young Drippy Drippy. All right? And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. They got a seven-minute uh, highlight recap. Get you some of that. And that's what it was. Over yeah, if you're talking about uh, what was the most dominant performance in the Super Bowl in the past decade, you're just going by that one game. I, th- I think it's a pretty clear-cut uh, W for the those Seattle Seahawks because, and it, and it gives me it gives me no pleasure to say that because that was a that was a tough evening. For some context, if you recall, there were several moments in that game that it would they were just bad. The, 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 when your center snaps the ball over your quarterback's head for a game-opening safety, that is not a good look. And then you and you're absolutely right. I felt the same way. Go ahead. I, w- I was just gonna say I did forget this this key point. Um, I overlooked this in my notes. I was talking about how Seattle scored in 12 seconds to start the game. In the second half, they also scored in 12 seconds kick with the kickoff from Percy Hart. That's right. Yep. I and by, by that time I was no longer viewing the action. I, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna tell you when I yeah I'm gonna tell you when I checked out of the game. I held on as long as I could, but yeah, the second moment was that Cam Chancellor hit on Demarius Thomas, and that was actually the most that was actually the moment where I was like, well, 
they're clearly the more physical team and are imposing their will on this Denver Bronco high-flying number one offense in in the history of football at that time. That's how great that offense was. But in terms of physicality and imposing – imposing their will the Seattle defense just took it to these guys and then I believe it was 15 nothing at the time it might have been 15 or 16 the Broncos were on this about 12 play 38 yard drive or something just just the slowest most dink and dunk just nonsensical drive and then at one point Peyton Manning gets hit he throws the ball it just I don't know, like a slingshot straight up in the air. Malcolm Smith comes down with it at about his like his own like 35. By the time he got to the Denver 35, I was watching a Harry Potter movie because I just couldn't take no more. But, <laughs> hey, you, you're so right. That, that Seattle defense, they, they were outstanding. They were historically great. They were one of, the, one of the best defenses of this decade. When I look at the totality of a season, and I take that into consideration – I, I really like that 2017 Eagles team. I really, really do. The team, yes, the team that beat the New England Patriots with Nick Foles handling his business the last three games of the regular season and into the playoffs. They were 13-3 and that season, first seed in the NFC. Carson Wentz, if you recall, he was, before Patrick Mahomes came along, Carson Wentz was that dude who was just he taking was the MVP it. MVP candidate. He, yeah. Right. He, yeah, and if he'd have stayed healthy, he would have most certainly been the MVP. He had 33 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. Their rushing attack was absolutely outstanding. They had LeGarrette Blunt. They had Jay, They picked up Jay Ajayi about midway through the year. Corey Clement was doing things for him. On the outside, they had, they had Alshon Jeffrey. Nelson Aguilar, that's back when he was actually catching passes. He caught 62 for – he caught 62 balls and had eight touchdowns. Zach Ertz and Brent Selleck were your tight ends. So, you know, hey, they had Torrey Smith. They had a lot of weapons out there. And you th- and that's one of the things you got to think about. When you br- As great as Nick Foles was, you have to take into consideration he was still a backup. So that speaks to how great the rest of that team was, that they were able to prop him up and help him and help him on his on their way to success throughout that postseason run. And then defensively, we talked about Malcolm Jenkins earlier. He was handling business on the back end of this Philadelphia defense. You had Fletcher Cox. Ronald Darby was out there. Nigel Bradham, Michael Kendricks, Brandon Graham. The list goes on and on. Just a great team on both sides of the ball. And the offensive line was great. Offensive line been very good for years now with Lane Johnson's and Jason Peters and Jason Kelsey's. So much talent up and down that football field. Wentz, Ertz, Cox, and Jenkins were your pro bowlers. They were third in scoring offense. They were fourth in scoring defense. They were well-balanced. And if you recall throughout that playoff run, that, that was Chris Long was out there wearing the dog heads for the underdog because nobody believes in us and all that. If you remember, the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings came off the Minnesota miracle when Marcus Williams had a stroke on the field and Stephon Diggs wandered down the field for that last-second touchdown. Uh, come to think of it, that's probably the last moment he was really happy being there because then Kirk Cousins came mm. to town. That's neither that's neither here nor there. But you, Minnesota, I thought, would win that game, and Philadelphia smoked them 38-7, to just completely whitewashed them. And then Nick Foles, the next uh, in the Super Bowl, puts up 41 and outplays Tom Brady, even though Brady threw for 500 yards. I, I, like, I like the Seahawks. I, I was going to say, it's funny you say outplayed them 
because he even used a play to show him that he was better than him. Remember they did the, what was it called? The Philadelphia really something? Where they, the Philly special yeah. where Tom Brady was too slow to catch his? But, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> was that in the same game? Yeah, that was the same yeah. game. Yeah, that was. Same yeah, as that game. Yeah, not, not one of Brady's finer moments. But, yeah, with all those things in mind and due to the fact that the Eagles roster was good enough to help a backup quarterback to a Super Bowl MVP, I, 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 I think the Eagles have a great argument as being the best Super Bowl team this decade. Good choice. I like it. Yeah, man, it, that, that will forever be in the lore of NFL history. Is That year Nick Foles just did the thing. And, and of course, like you said, against – who he beat. I mean, this is, we're talking about uh, the dynasty that he beat in that, that year. I mean, they were like, Oh, maybe the Patriots are done. Maybe this is, this is this it. Yeah. Hey, and, 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 and to the, and to that point, the same credit that we give these New York giants teams for, Oh, they beat the Patriots. If you go back and look at that 2011 giants team, they were not very good. They had a negative point differential in the regular season before they all of a sudden got red hot in the playoffs. Yeah, as far as the overall team, I do lean towards the 13 Seahawks. And it's just when you look at this this team, man, top to bottom, I mean, the season they had, and it's there's a little bit of narrative and a little bit of, of just the raw talent. I mean, you're talking about the narrative. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll came over there. We all, we all know he did at USC at his time there, but, of course, that ended a little rocky. He comes to the NFL. We've seen a lot of coaches in the college ranks not make it in the NFL, even – Nick Saban. I mean, hey, you know, why not as an example? But, you know, he comes here, he starts building this team, and I like that they built through defense. That's what I like. I've always been like kind of a defense guy, and that they build this just this crazy good defense. They work on it, and then you get you get Russell Wilson, who's a guy you just like. You just he's so easy to root for, so easy to like him, even today, you know. And then they just you just have this this culmination of talent on both sides of the ball because a lot of these teams you can look at Outside of the Patriots teams, which you can sometimes you can lean on, oh, well, that's Bill Belichick coaching them, whatever. You can look at a lot of teams that have great defenses and they had enough on offense or great offenses with enough on defense, like we just saw it this past year with the Chiefs. Um, but this is a team that you look at top to bottom, you go, my God. I mean, there are as good as they were on offense with, with beast mode and all these receivers, Doug Baldwin, Golden Tate. And then you look at the defense and that defense, like, is still being copied today. I mean, we, we realized that was – it modernized the 4-3 defense, and people and coaches to this day are still copying and working off that defensive template that these guys made this many years ago. And, of course, when you're the first one to do it, everyone follows suit. But I think all those things combined might push me more to the Seahawks. I feel like if you put these two teams on the field in a neutral, you know, their own game, just everyone pretend everyone's in their prime, I think the Seahawks would do enough on defense to win the game. But it would be really close. And then just the narrative of Russell Wilson, franchise guy, winning the second season, and the fact that Seahawks won, that was their first Super Bowl. In the, in the modern you know deal, that was their first Super Bowl. So everything considered, I lean towards the Seahawks. But, man, these are two teams that they're always going to be. I mean, not just in the 2010s, but even beyond that, you know, they're two teams that you're going to remember for, for a long time. All right, fellas, I'm going to finish off some rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. Let's go drink. Yeah, let's roll, baby. The Bucks head coach Bruce Aaron shot down speculation that his team might sign wide receiver Antonio Brown. Do you agree with him? 
I do agree with them. I think they got enough at wide receiver. I think they need to upgrade those tackles. And I agree. I don't. I don't think it's a great fit. And remember, Bruce Arians worked with Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh for for a few years, so he he knows about Antonio Brown, and it ain't like he just started acting a fool last year. So I'm cool with him. All Utah Jazz players and staff have been cleared by the Utah Department of Health after undergoing quarantine the past two weeks. It's good news, right? Hey, very good news, man. It's about time something positive come out about the coronavirus in the NBA. So, yeah, it's very good news, man. The Chicago White Sox have option right-hander Mike Keith Kopech to the AAA team in Charlotte. Is that significant? Uh, probably not. Um, he's coming off Tommy John surgery, and he just might not be quite ready to uh, – pitch at the major leagues whenever the season starts so that this probably isn't a isn't a big deal and he's still only 23 years old bill's quarterback josh allen says he's still floating on cloud nine after the acquisition of wide receiver stefan diggs does that statement encourage you oh yeah that, that sound real good to you not throwing him the ball or you're overthrowing them or you're underthrowing them and then you're going to get the old kirk cousins treatment now buddy so you stay on that cloud nine and see where that gets you Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte says Shaka Smart will return next season as the head coach of the Longhorns men's basketball team. Right move? I think so, but the mere fact that this is a question means there's some real pressure on Shaka Smart to deliver the goods. It's, it's probably about time you win yourself an NCAA tournament game. Defensive end Michael Brockers is back with the Rams after contract negotiations with the Ravens fell through. Is that a bigger deal for the Rams or the Ravens? I think it's a bigger deal for the Rams. Look, here's the deal. The Rams over here scratching pennies. I seen uh, the head coach under the, the cushion of the couch looking for pennies. They trying to do whatever they can do to sign some players. And the Ravens, let's be honest here, their defensive line is pretty good as is. It just would have been another guy to make them even more stout. So I think it's a, it's a bigger uh, deal for the Rams than it is the Ravens. Similar news in Jacksonville last corner. Dequez Denard remains a free agent after he and the Jaguars was unable to finalize Denard's contract. Your thoughts? That's just that's just a regular day in Jacksonville. Not not really anything <laughs> of substance. The NBA is reducing base salaries by 20% for about 100 of the league's top earning executives, and the league continues to deal with the suspended season. Do you anticipate more cuts being made? Absolutely. The longer it go, the money got to come from somewhere. And I do believe it should come from those executives before it comes from the players, because that's the talent. They're the ones put their bodies out there. They're the ones put their life on the line, per se, um, to entertain us where the executives just sit back and sign stuff and get paid well to do it. So, yeah, I, I see it happening more. And I think it should happen more to those guys. Um, the coach signed former Vikings corner Xavier Rose to a one year deal. Good move. Yeah, I alluded to this earlier. Xavier Rhodes coming in there as a good veteran presence, mentor some of them other young guys. So they got a good mix of young of youth and experience. So, yeah, I like it. And it's it's a good win now move for the Colts who are going to win at AFC South, like I told you. UFC light heavyweight champion John Bones Jones was recently arrested for aggravated DWI and negligent use of a firearm. Is that concerning you, Drink? This I just don't understand. I just, yo, this guy's so talented. Got the world handed to him at a young age. I just don't understand it. Like, Dana White need to go ahead. He, he don't need the main event no more. 
The best he need to do is co-management, but it's very concerning. He just don't want to get that. The only person that has beaten him in like the last seven years is John Jones. Like literally, no fighter can beat him. He only beats himself. It's ridiculous, man. Grow up. Grow up. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Waz. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.